so blessed to, to be here today, and you are really what Victory Outreach is all about. And um, to see and hear these testimonies, I know that's just a fraction of, of what is here today, but I get touched every time. You know, when I was younger, when I was in the home, I kind of took for granted the testimonies, to be honest, because that's what I'd hear every day. <laughs> testimony of testimony. And they would say, wrecked up for the neck up, jacked up from the back up, beat it from the feet up. Give me some more, guys. You know them. Tore from the floor up. And it seemed like everybody was trying to outdo each other. <laughs> but I realize now, as I grew older, how precious you are to God. That's right. Because when I was younger, I didn't, I didn't understand it fully. I was a little boy. It would take me to, to the school in a messed up, all beat up old van. We used to have a sunroof in it, but it really wasn't a sunroof. It was a rusted out roof. <laughs> Two-tone van was red and white. And they would drop me off. And I, I went to a suburban school where my friends got dropped off in Cadillacs, BMWs. Some of them even had limos. And then they would drop me off in this beat-up van full of men. <laughs> Broken windows. <laughs> rusted out roof. And I would say, please drop me off at the corner. So I could run. And then they would take me right to, this, right to the curb. And then I would jump out and I would run as fast as I can. And then they would say, bye, sunny boy, bye. And all my friends would say, who are those people? And I said, they're the help at the, at the home. <laughs> at my home. <laughs> I couldn't say it was rehab because I don't think we were zoned for rehab. So we, I had to like be undercover in a sense where we couldn't really reveal everything what we were doing at, there at our, church, at, our, at, our uh, at our home there. The Hacienda was like seven acres. My friends thought, man, you live in a mansion. I go, yeah, we do, I do. So I brag about that, but then when the would take me in to school in that messed up van, it just kind of contrary to what I would say. But anyway, as I grew up, I began to realize how precious our treasures out of dark, darkness are. Amen. You're precious in the sight of God. Give the Lord a hand. Because you're saved, you're delivered, you're set free. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things become new. Hallelujah. Give the Lord all the praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Well, I, I want to get right into this. If you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 16. We have it, say amen. How many of you are hungry for the word today? Now, today, I want you to understand something. I'm not going to give you a little rehab message today, okay? I'm going to give you a message that I could preach to pastors and leaders and to people that have been in ministry a long time. The reason I chose to preach this message is because I believe there are leaders in this room. There's pastors in this room. There's evangelists. There's missionaries. There's leaders in the church that are coming up through this ranks right here. See, you got to start having vision for what God wants to use you to do after the home. God wants to give you a vision for your immediate vision, your short-term, but also long-term vision. God wants to speak to us today. It talks right there in verse 16. Well, first of all, Jesus asked, who do they say that I am? And some say you're this, some say you're that. But then Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus answered and said to him, verse 17, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, 
And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus said, I will build my church. Say, my church. It's his church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I pray that you would help me to deliver it effectively with your anointing, with your power, that you would speak to every single person in this room, directors, pastors, in all the homes. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Tell, tell somebody next to you, say, this is his church. He said, I'll build my church. See, we belong to Jesus. This is his ministry. This is his church. This is his movement, Victory Outreach. We are, belong to Jesus. The foundation or the cornerstone of the church is Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone of who we are, what we are doing, and where we are going. Ephesians chapter 2, I think they should put it on the screen. If they don't, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, we're going to look at verse 18 to 22. It says, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. That word household could also be translated family. We're part of his family built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, he was talking to the church at that time, the current church, but he's also talking to us today that we are part of God's household. We are part of his family. And if you really want to look at it, we're part of a family within the family of God. Victory Outreach is a family within the family. We are a special people. We are treasures out of darkness that God has selected and pulled out literally at the point of death. Many people, if it wasn't for Victory Outreach at the time that they reached you, you may be dead today. So we don't just save souls, we save lives. There's many people that are into the soul-saving ministry they save people, you know, middle class, upper class, people that are not even close to death. But we're, we're reaching out to people that are literally one, one foot away from hell. Literally one, foot, one, one smoke away from overdose. One corner away from getting shot. One moment away from getting thrown in prison. We reach them at the point where they're close to death or close to being in prison. And many of you have those testimonies today. So, Victory Outreach, we are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives in. The chief cornerstone of this house is Jesus Christ. The chief cornerstone of Victory Outreach is Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? Now, the cornerstone definition is this. Something that is essential, indispensable, or basic. The chief foundation on which something is constructed or developed. Now, I know a little bit about construction now that we build a building at the Mother Church from the ground up. Our, if our foundation was, was off a little bit, our church wouldn't stand. It wouldn't be able to stand. The structure wouldn't stand for the long haul. With that, if it had cracks or if it, had, if it was off in, in alignment, it wouldn't stand. So Jesus Christ is the perfect foundation. Perfect foundation for the building to stand, for the church to stand upon. Can somebody say amen? Another synonym for the cornerstone is bedrock. 
base, foundation. See, he is the essential. Jesus is the essential. He's the fundamental. He's the foundation. And we are being built upon that foundation as a people. We can never lose Jesus or we've lost everything. He is a rock. He is a sure thing. He is our everything. When you think of Jesus, you got to understand that it's not the vision that keeps you. It's Jesus, the one who gave us the vision that keeps you. We got to understand it's not your calling that keeps you. It's Jesus, the one that gave you the calling that keeps you. You got to understand it's not your pastor that keeps you. It's Jesus. It's not your home director that keeps you. It's not your family that keeps you. It's not your girlfriend or your wife that keeps you. It's Jesus Christ that will keep you for the long haul. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He says, if you're free, you're going to be free indeed. And I believe God wants to not only set you free for now, but free for life. And I hear an amen. So we have to understand the foundations of Jesus Christ. So when he says, I'll build my church, he also says, I'm going to partner up with you too. He says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom to bind on earth and to, to loose in heaven. He said, we are partners with Christ. We are partners with Christ in building his church. Everyone plays an important role in using their abilities to build his church. As you're in the home, I pray that you're discovering your abilities. I pray that you're discovering your your spiritual gifts, your your, your talents, your abilities that you could offer up to help build the church of God. Are you getting used in the home, anybody? Getting opportunities to speak. Anybody getting opportunities to speak yet? All right, that's good. But God wants to give you more opportunities, not just to serve in the church and just be janitorial, but there's also other opportunities to evangelize, to do great works in ministry. And Paul understood the importance of establishing a community of believers. He was one of the greatest in this area. Wherever Paul went, he committed to seeing people established in Christ. Every city he went, he committed himself to seeing people established in Christ. Wherever Victor Outreach goes, we're committed to seeing people established in Christ. And you are key for the future of Victor Outreach. You're part of this now generation. God is raising up a whole other generation. It's not just the gang, but it's also the homes. Together, side by side, God is raising up a whole new generation to take this world for Jesus. He's accelerating the vision. You gotta understand you're part of something big. You're part of something powerful. And I believe that God is able to raise up anyone that will just offer themselves up to God. I've seen it throughout my life, 48 years now that we've been seeing people rise up and you're part of the great future that God wants to use for, for, the, for the expansion of this kingdom. You gotta start believing it. You gotta start believing that God could use you. He said this of himself. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. He says, We are co workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. And by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. Say, each one should build with care. Say it one more time. Each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. That day when we meet the Lord, that day will be judged. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. 
If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So when we're talking about building with care, we're talking about building with precious stones, things that can't be burned up in the fire. In other words, we're building with excellence. This ministry has, been, has a great foundation. We have great pioneers that laid a great foundation upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. As we continue to grow in this ministry, we can't let go of those values and principles that have made us great. In other words, our home's got to stay steadfast in prayer, steadfast in evangelism, steadfast in seeking God with all their heart, raising up young men and young women out of the home to see them become productive people of God and, and not only citizens of, the, of, of, our, of our country, but also citizens of the kingdom on the most part. See, whatever you do for God will last. Whatever you do for this world will burn away. This gives also a picture that the works that we do, there's going to be a day of judgment and, and God's going to present the works and he's going to say, okay, what did you do in my name? And what motives did you have? Did you have the right motives? Was it about building your kingdom or my kingdom? And then it gives a picture of this, that if everything burns, it's kind of like when you have a house, you have all your nice things, and you got a fire going, and you escape barely by the flames, but you look back, and all of that you earned, all of that you accomplished, burns right before you. But you're saved, but barely. You're saved, but your works didn't follow you. Why? Because you, did, you, you, you didn't prove yourself to be faithful and building with care. You didn't do it from a right motive or right, right attitude. And I believe God wants to raise up people in this room that will build with care, that will build with integrity, that will build with a sense of commitment and dedication, knowing that what has gone before them was built with care. So now we're going to continue to build upon that foundation with much, much more care. Can somebody say amen? You ever see that show, Extreme Makeover? It's a show where, where uh, there's people that are hurting and they, they, different situations come up and there's a, a guy that comes in with his team and begins to look at the house and say, okay, how can we make this better for this family? This family's been through a lot of trials. I wish I was chosen for that. Because <laughs> they go in there and in one week they renovate the whole house. They make the house all better. But it takes a team to make that happen. You see, the Bible says Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. In other words, we're, as we partner with Christ in building his house and building his church, we're going to need designers. We're going to need different types of contractors. We're going to need different painters, electricians. We're going to need AC people. We're going to need all these different types of expertise. What I'm trying to say to you is this. We need different giftings to, to take different roles in the kingdom of God. What I'm telling you is that God's put something in you to be a partner with him in building his church. Imagine partnering with Christ and building his kingdom, building his church. You have something to offer. You may not think much of yourself, but God says, I think you're great. You were fearfully and wonderfully made to do good works for me. God wants to use you to make a huge difference in your world and in the world at large. Can I say, hear somebody say amen? amen? See, God gives the increase and God gets the glory. It's amazing how God is able to raise up people that were once lost and once bound and foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the weak things to, to prove to those that think they're weak, that, oh no, in Christ I'm strong, we could do this. Can somebody say yeah? 
said, along this journey, we've learned a lot of things over the years. We've learned to keep moving forward no matter what you face. The reason why we're still going forward in Victory Outreach is because we, we don't stop. We don't stop when things get hard. We don't stop when the devil attacks. We don't stop when people talk about us. We don't stop when we make a little stumble. We get back up, we keep on running. We just don't stop. You look at me today, you say, it must be easy for you, Sonny Junior. Oh yeah? Walk in my shoes for a while. You, you'll realize it wasn't easy for me either. And literally, when I first got saved, I needed the home. 19 years old, I gave my heart to the Lord. A little bit of my testimony. I, I used to go out and party. I partied hardest when my parents were out of town. That was like free pastime. I was at the point when I was 15 years old that this guy at school was selling, he was selling baptismal certificates, official baptismal certificates, so that we could go and get fake IDs at the DMV. And I got one, I bought one. Imagine that. And then I had the courage, I don't know how, to go to the DMV under a different name, Robert McClellan was my name, <laughs> an Irish name. I never tell this part of my testimony, but you guys are getting the inside scoop. <laughs> I'm gonna give you more than I give the church at large. <laughs> I don't think my parents know that part either. So don't tell them. <laughs> so I go, I do the picture and everything. And so, man, I'm ready now to go. I could go to clubs now. I could go wherever I want. I could get beer. I could get whatever. So that's what I started doing. I started going out. I had friends that had fake IDs. We'd go out and party, go to clubs. 15, 16 years old. Partying as hard as I can. I tried different things. I dabbled on certain things. And I kept getting worse. This one night I came home late on a Saturday night and um, you know when you try to sneak into your own house anyone ever have that your parents and everything so they were home and I'm like okay let me see here and you know you ever have a squeaky door so I thought the best thing I do open it up and then just go real fast so the squeak didn't last long you know if you do it slow it's too loud so I just went, <coughs> then I took my shoes off, <laughs> tiptoed through the tile. I get to the kitchen. I try to start eating something, you know, cover my breath. Next thing I know, I hear the door upstairs, and I hear footsteps. And I go, oh, and I start praying to I don't know who. I knew God wasn't with me. <laughs> it was a hope without hope, you know. So then all of a sudden, person comes down, it's my mom in a robe. She goes, where have you been? And I said, I went to the movies, then I went out to eat at In-N-Out. I was making up a big old lie. She says, get over here, come over here in the light. Come, come now. So I'm, you know, I'm drunk, so I'm like, come on, mom, really? She goes, yeah, come over here. So finally, you know you ever get that drunk boldness? Where you just say, you know what, I'm busted, might as well go all the way. So I walk up to her and I go, ah. I didn't go, I went, ah. then I, as soon as I did that, whack, slap in the face. And you know when you're drunk, you're like, it feels like rubber. You're like, 
So then I look at her, and as I look at her walking away slowly, she had that disappointment in her eyes, that tears began to come down her eyes. And I felt super bad, you know. And she goes upstairs, she goes, I'll see you in the morning. And I know she went upstairs and was crying about me. I'm, I'm a pastor's kid with people that are coming out of alcoholism, people that are coming out of drug addiction. And here I'm out doing the things that we're trying to rescue people from. The burden that they're carrying, they can't tell. Who are they going to go to? My son, is on, he's over there drinking and partying. Who, who are they going to talk to? They had to deal with this within the house. So as time went on, I continued in my way. I remember this one time I went out and uh, went from party to party. And then this is what really kind of brought things home to me a bit is I went to the wrong neighborhood with my friends. I came from a suburban neighborhood and I never really dealt with the cholos. See, I dealt with cholos, ex-cholos in the church because Victory Average was at that time a lot of ex-cholos or ex-gang members. But this time we went to a city, Azusa, some of you guys know where that's at. And it was a party, but it was full of different gang members, different neighborhoods. And my friend was a little nervous, but I said, hey, we got this. I see these people all the time. Because <laughs> there was a mixture of people. There were some people that, that we knew there too. Then all of a sudden, I had my girlfriend, and she was kind of pretty. Well, she was real pretty. <laughs> so this guy comes up and starts flirting with her. And my, she says, she says uh, you know, she was getting upset. And I said, what are you doing? He goes, I, he, goes and he said something like this. He goes, he told her, you know, she, he's, I said, she's with me. That's what I said. And he goes, he said, poor thing. I said, okay, now you're, now you're going there. So the next thing I know, I just went. I went, boom, I just hit him. I was a little bit of a fighter at the time. I hit him. And all of a sudden, all these guys start jumping me. Oh, yes. I remember seeing Duke of Earl, and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> it could be over tonight, you know? So... <laughs> I find myself on the bottom trying to fight up, and all of a sudden I get hit with the bottle in, in, the, in the eye. Blood starts coming down. They take me out. Somehow they got me out of there. It, I just remember a guy said, and I, they had me in the light, they go, five tight stitches. He's going to need five tight stitches. And I'm like, oh, tight stitches? What? So they, they take me to the car. You know when you're in the car on the way to the hospital after you get beat up? I don't know if some of you ever got beat up or jumped. One-on-one, -on -one, I would have had him. Maybe two on one, I would have. But five on one, I don't know. That it didn't work out. So I'm on my way to the hospital, and I just remember kind of going, let's go get him. <laughs> I, was, I was wasting. Let's go get him. And I got to the hospital. They stitched me up. That night, I go home, went on the couch. I remember sleeping inward away from the outside. The next morning was Sunday morning. My dad comes out you know, getting ready for church. And that day happened to be family day. It happened to be family day where they're going to highlight our families or highlight our family. It was Pastor's Day. That's what it was, Pastor's Day. And the family has to come up. They're going to present us with whatever, you know. And so as I'm laying that way, I hear him, and I'm thinking, I hope he can't see my stitches. I'm sorry, turning in a little bit. I just remember touching me like that, like kind of like a affectionate move. Like my son, you know? And I felt so bad. I felt like, 
I'm, making, I'm messing this whole thing up for our family. I, I'm making him look bad. So then I remember getting up, getting ready, going to church with sunglasses. Went up on stage with sunglasses. <laughs> and the guys knew out there, they knew something's up. I remember after the service, Art Blahos comes up to me. Ex-mafia hitman. He says, what happened to you? And I said, well, and I gave him a lie. I said, I was at In-N-Out. In-N-Out was one of my main places. <laughs> and these guys, we they're were messing with my car. They threw something in my car. I was lying. I was a, li- I was a good liar, though. I lied, and I, and, he, and I said, and then I started fighting, and then these guys hit me in the head, and, and that's how it happened. And he says, if you need me, let me know. <laughs> At that point, I felt like switching it back to the truth. <laughs> well, these guys in Azusa, this is what they look like. <laughs> Take care of it, Brother Art. <laughs> I think because he was still in the sanctification process, he really felt for me, and he wanted to help me, you know? So, but I didn't tell him, and he didn't kill nobody, so I don't care. <laughs> Basically, on this journey, it's going to take some spiritual guts to make it. My parents had to go through that with us, messed up. And finally, thank God, finally I gave my heart to the Lord at 19 years old. But after I gave my heart to the Lord, I had some issues still. I was not disciplined. I still had a girlfriend that I shouldn't have had. And so after a few months, my dad says, maybe you should go to the home. And I said, okay. He goes, which, I go, which one? He goes, Amsterdam, Holland. I go, really? All the way over there? Because yes, need to get as far as away as you can. <laughs> so I went into the home, and I was there for seven months. But during those seven months, it changed my life forever. That's where God established my foundation. That's where I really learned how to pray. That's where I really learned how to read. Only up to that point, I only read two full books: Tales of the Fourth Grade Nothing and Blubber by Judy Bloom. <laughs> Those are the only books I read cover to cover. I don't know how I got through school, but I graduated somehow, but I only read two books, and those are the only books I read fully. But when I got to that home, I read like 70% of the Bible. I read like a whole bookcase of books. I read fat books, skinny books, medium books, and I was able to start learning how to really pray and read and study. And I went outside the program, too. I did all-night prayer meetings with my buddy Henrik, we would fast. This one week I fasted seven days. And I was fasting. I said, God, I want you to speak to me about my vision. What, what's your vision for me? People would say, you're going to be just like your dad. And I said, there's no way I could be like him. They said, you're going to be like Nicky Cruz. And I said, there's really no way I could be like him. <laughs> you're going to be this. You're going to be that. So they would, people would tell me, they meant good things about, you know, they wanted me good for me. You got to understand, at that time, I didn't really know how to talk that good. I was not a good speaker. I didn't like to talk to people one-on-one. I was very timid and bashful and shy. And so for me to be like them, it was really out, out of this world. There's no way I could be like them. I would see my dad get up early and study and, and go up there and preach, and I would say, I don't like to study. I don't like to pray. And how could I preach like that? This is before the home. But in the home, I started learning the spiritual disciplines. I learned how to fast. I learned how to pray. I learned how to evangelize. I learned how to get a hold of God. And then God began to get a hold of me. 
So during that seven-week, seven-day period when I was fasting, just water. They didn't tell me to fast. I just did it. God began to speak to me. You're going to show me that I'm going to use you in signs and wonders and healings. You're going to cast out devils. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to open blind eyes. You're going to preach all over the world. You're going to reach your generation. This generation is going to take nations. He started showing me all this stuff. And in my mind, I was thinking, me, Lord, are you sure? And I started questioning. I go, this can't be real. But then I said, God, if this is real, if you're speaking to me real, please confirm it before the, night, the day's over. This is the last day of my fast. Saturday, it was afternoon when God always spoke to me, all this stuff. I wrote it all down. You know, the Bible says, write the vision down, make it plain on tablets, and have it cooked you, verse 2. And then I wrote it down, and then I, I asked the Lord, before this day's over, confirm it to me. So it came down to 11.30, 11, actually 11.45 p.m. I had a letter they sent to me from, from uh, America. A friend of mine sent me a letter. And in the letter, it says, God spoke to me that you are called and that he's going to use you mightily. And then it, then it says, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 to 4. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, that's exactly what. And it was like God answered me and confirmed it. And ever since then, I never doubted I'm called of God. Never doubted that God called me. Come on. You got to get a confirmation on your calling. There's not, you're never going to have enough time to pray after the home. In the home, you can pray. In the home, you can read. In the home, you can fast. In the home, you can get a hold of God. Outside the home, all this busyness takes place. You really got to discipline yourself. So this is your opportunity to hear from God. This is your opportunity to get a word from God that will keep you for a lifetime. The vision God gave me then has really been coming to pass over the years. He said, I'm going to preach in different places. He showed me places I was going to preach back then. He showed me Africa, and we weren't even close to going into Africa. I preached in Africa. He showed me Brazil. Just recently, I went to Brazil. He showed me different other places that I would be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it has all been happening. He showed me that someday I'm going to take over the mother church. I didn't realize it was going to be as early as it was. I thought it was going to be when I was 40. I took it over at 30. All these great things. He showed me I'm going to, I'm going to meet people of prominence. When I was 30 years old, I was called to the White House for the faith-based initiative. 30 different religious leaders. And my dad says, they want you because they wanted the gang. They said, gang, God's not I go, no, dad, I think they made a mistake. They want you. He goes, no, 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 no. They want you. Because <laughs> I would, remember that shine and start kicking in. For President Bush, he was going to sign a faith-based initiative to help faith-based ministries or different organizations to fund them. So I went to this meeting, and I had to go through all security, went into this room. There was about 30 other clergy, and I was the youngest one. There was one Muslim, maybe one Buddhist, one Catholic, and all the rest Christian. And uh, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? How could I? So President Bush comes in. We all stand up. He talks to us, says, well, thank you for coming, this and that. And I remember my dad's words. He said, make sure... You touch President Bush, you shake his hand, you give him the books. He had, I had a couple books to give him. So I rose up after the little speech there, and I went right to him, and I said, I'm Sonny Arizona Jr. I did this real quick. Sonny Arizona Jr. from Victory Outreach, and I'm Pastor Sonny's son, the founder. He wants me to give you this. And I, after like a minute, I finished. 
And the whole time he kept his eyes on me. You know, he didn't start looking around. What do I need to do next? Because he goes, he goes, I know all about you. That's why you're here. I know Victory Outreach. Isn't that powerful? <laughs> and every, every reference point of what God spoke to me in the home been coming to pass. Been coming to pass. God is going to bring things to pass for you. Of course, I went off my notes because I feel this is where we're going to go today. God wants to speak to you while you're in the home. Things that will change your life forever. This is your foundation. You're not going to be an habitual backslider. You're not going to be a home hopper. You're not going to be an in and out type of person, in and out of the home. You're not going to go back to that crack. You're not going to go back to that alcohol. You're not going to go back to that woman. You're not going to go back to that guy. You're not going to go back to that gang. You're not going to go back to that. You're not going to go back to that life. You got to make up your mind today and say, you know what? Enough is enough. I've tried it all. Nothing works. It's all messed up out there. I'm going forward for Jesus. God's going to give you a vision. God's going to give you a calling and you're going to last a long haul. Five years down the road, I'm going to see some of you in the mission field. Five years down the road, I'm going to see some of you home directors. Four years down the road, I'm going to see some of you leading the gang. I'm going to see some of you pastoring a church. I'm going to see some of you on a team. Some of you are going to be children's gang leaders. God's going to raise you up to be part of building his house. Some of you could sing. Some of you could play music. Some of you could rap like Lowski. <laughs> God could raise you up to write music. God, I mean, there's so much that God wants to do through you. He puts something in you. I was watching Intervention yesterday. Have you ever seen that show? You know what trips me out about that show? Is that they, don't, they really don't know it's Intervention, the show. You know, they say they're getting paid to do a documentary on drug addict, whatever. But haven't they seen the show yet? <laughs> this is a setup, you know? So maybe it is acting, I don't know. But it was sad to see the stories. And it reminds me of Victory Outreach, every story. But really no real hope. Intervention, but not the intervention. Program, but not the one that's able to make all the difference, the power of God. And you would see some of these ones, they would go through the rehab, they come out, and then they said, and they relapsed. Went right back to it. And they give pretty much, it's a gamble. You either win or you lose. You may not win. But in Victory Outreach, we have a guarantee with God. Jesus says, I'll keep you. All you got to do is stay right here in my hand. I'll keep you. you. They can't pluck you out of my hand. But if you walk away, that's the difference. If you stay in there, you'll be kept. And God's power is here to keep you for the long haul. Pastor Gilbert, how long have you been saved now? 40 what? 41 years, you came to the home. 41 years, still standing. How about you? 77? 38 years. 15, okay, good. Pepe? 33 years. I mean, you could go on and on. Over, for me, it's over 25 years serving the Lord. 26 years now. But a key factor, let me get this to you straight. Get a hold of God. Let God get a hold of you. Don't just be it going through the program. Okay, it's time to work. 
setting up chairs, picking up trash. No, you're not going to, you're doing it unto the Lord. Everything you do in the house of God, you're doing it unto the Lord. I set up chairs, I clean toilets, I scrub floors. One time they had me in the basement chipping paint with a toothbrush. I'm like, well, this is not right. I'm Pastor, I'm Pastor Sonny Senior's son. Sonny Arganzoni Jr. having me doing this. Then I had to get my pride out of the way. I told them when I came there, I said, I don't want a sense of entitlement. Treat me like everybody else. I told them, it was Robert Avina at that time. He was our home director. I don't know if you know him. And I told him, we had a meeting in the office. He says, I want you to know, he told me this. He goes, I'm going to take care of you. You know, you're my pastor's son. And then he started telling me, I go, no. No special treatment. Treat me like everybody else. I don't want people to despise me for special treatment. I want the guys to see that I'm just like them, doing the same thing they do. And after I said that, I regretted it. <laughs> Once I was setting up chairs, and in that church at that time, it had to be perfect. I don't know if you guys have the same thing. Had certain inches apart. Certain inches like that. So I'm setting up the chairs. I'm toward the back. I'm almost finished. Setting them up. I'm getting drowsy. You ever get sleepy standing? I'm like drowsy. I almost fell down. I'm like... <laughs> I was so tired, you know, getting up at 5 in the morning, every morning, you know, over there in Holland, too, the sun, during the winter, the sun would come up later. So I get up at 5, have some coffee, get into, you know, the devotion, also the, the chapel, do the chores, do the breakfast. After all that, it's still dark. I said, what are we doing up? Let's go back to sleep, everybody. <laughs> Son's still not up. But I did all those things because I wanted to change. I did all those things because I wanted God's calling. I wanted God's plan. I didn't do it for my dad. I did it for me. I didn't do it for any other reason. I did it for God and for me. But today, here I am today, telling you my story. And if God could do it for me, he could do it for you. God could raise you up to be a world shaker. And a history maker. Amen. Do you believe it? Come on now. Somebody give the Lord a hand. Let me say this. There's going to be, after you get out of the home, then you got to continue the next step. And that means you're not just going to go back to the ordinary life no more. Ordinary is out of your vocabulary now. It's called extraordinary life now. It's called living an abundant life. It's called finding your purpose in the church. Where, God can, where can God use me in the church? Pastors need to help guide that. Directors need to help guide that to direct them right in so they won't get lost. The reason why some people don't make it is because when they leave the home, they stop doing what they learned in the home. They stop with accountability. Accountability is high on the priority. If you want to stay strong, you got to leave your old friends behind. Are you hearing me? They're going to try to call you. When that's you, you got to say, nope, you got to deny, decline. In fact, get rid of their numbers now. Make sure that you don't have no connections with these old habits or people that, with old habits. Because that's going to try to come against you to get you off course. The devil is a big, fat, stinking liar, pants on fire. He's going to try to get you distracted. All of a sudden, the girl you really wanted, 
before you went to the home and she denied you, she rejected you, she didn't like you, you come out of the home looking nice and good, all of a sudden, hi. <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, Facebook and whatever, stay off social media for a while too, okay? That's danger, dangerous for people that have addictions, okay? You gotta be smart. I'm not gonna go through the traps. I'm not gonna go to something that's gonna trigger me. I'm not gonna drive in that neighborhood that every time I drove through there, I went right to the drug house. If you have to live in another city for the rest of your life, live in that other city. I'm giving you big advice because I've seen it. Guys relapse because they do those same patterns. You gotta break those patterns in order to develop a new one to keep you for the long haul. Amen? The prayer you should pray every day, lead me down in temptation and deliver me from evil. Give me the power, God, to overcome. You see, after that, as you get involved in the church, God starts developing you to become what I talked about earlier, directors, gang leaders, missionaries, pastors, evangelists. Not everybody's going to do that. Some of you are going to be business owners, but you're going to be contributors to the house of God to reach the world. Some of you are going to do other occupations, but your real occupation is what you do for God. That's your real purpose. Can I hear an amen? Then you're going to be tempted to be with the wrong person. Somebody, it could be in the church too. You got to wait on God. Wait for the right person at the right time. Now I know some of you probably passed notes during these things. At least in the past it's happened. If you get a note, tear it up. Don't even look at it. The more you're after God, the more the devil wants to take you out. You got to understand where the devil wants to take you out. Also, sometimes your family could want to pull you in and say, you don't have to go to church that much now. You don't have to be all committed. You're delivered. You're set free. Why don't you just take it easy now? You're too, you're too fanatical. Say, oh, that's, that's right. I'm fanatical. My fanaticism is keeping me clean and keeping me going forward. Come on. Sell out to God. Go all the way. Don't stop. Don't stop going all the way. Listen, the Bible says, you know, to do good, not to give up. It talks about in season you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Keep on doing what's right, and God's going to give you your harvest. You're going to reap what you've sown. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. I have a group of people right here that I believe I'm going to see in the future. And you're going to come up to me. One of the conferences, one of the regionals, you're going to say, I was one of those guys you were talking to. I was that one you were talking to. Come on. I was that one you were talking to. Come on, give the Lord a hand. I'm still here. I'm still standing. I'm still going forward. I'm still fighting. I'm still moving on. God has called me to be a man of God. God has called me to be a woman of God. I will not stop. I will go all the way. One day at a time, I will make it. Let's all stand right now. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you, Jesus. This is a house. It's a house of healing. Let me just read you a scripture here because I believe God wants to heal some people on the inside. 
Bible says in Luke chapter 13, verse 10, it says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could not in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to himself and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. This woman, imagine this, for 18 years bent over, walking like that. Walking like that with no help. But when she went to Jesus, he says, woman, you're loosed from your infirmity. Many of you came into the home walking like that. Bent over, no hope, addicted, strung out, bound, in bondage. Not just to a drug or substance, but emotionally a wreck, damaged. The reason why many people get into drugs or alcohol or any other substance is because their childhood was bad. Their parents broke up. They got abused by their father. They got left by their mother. In fact, some mothers even would get drunk and get high with their sons. Messed up life. Some get into orphanages and they end up going out. They're left, they're broken and bent over and stuck. My wife, Kim, she came in with damaged emotions. And I remember seeing her when I first started dating her and I knew she was God's, one for, God's girl for me. And that was a great day. I'm gonna tell you the story real quick. Oh, real quick, okay. I began to get lonely and tired of being alone. I was like 27, 28 years old or so. And I said, I was sitting on the bed one day in my dad's room, staring out to the window. You ever stare out and not look at anything? And he goes, comes up to me and he says, you're lonely, huh? And I said, yeah. <laughs> I started crying, dude. I just, he hit home. I like, how did you know? He goes, don't worry, God's gonna provide. So the next thing I know, I'm starting praying. I said, God, who is it? There's nobody here. There's nobody in the victory outreach. I travel everywhere. And God started putting a person on my heart. Somebody mentioned, I think my mom said, what about Kim? And Kim to me was like my little sister's friend as we grew up. And then she got saved eventually. And so I looked at her as like a little sister almost. But then I thought, she's not blood related. And she is saved. And five years or four years younger than me is not bad. And it's not jail bait no more because I'm older. She's... Because I was a teenager, she was too young. So then I started thinking, and then all of a sudden, God starts opening my eyes. On a Friday night prayer night, lights are dim. I'm leading the service. We have the worship team. Why don't you go over here? Switch with him. Go over here. Okay. She's on the end over here. Stage like that. Leading the service. It gets time to the greeting part. I said, all right, it's time to greet. Go ahead and greet people. As many people as you like. I put the mic down. anybody else I went right to her prayer night <laughs> God opened my eyes she could be the one and then after I began to talk to her and 
as time went on, God showed me it was her. But I tell you, um, when you make the right decision, it's a beautiful thing. But when, after we got together, I noticed that she was walking different. Like, not different, but she was walking like this, and I didn't realize it until I started dating her. But she had a little hunch to her, and I would always try to straighten it out, you know? Like, give, it me, give me a little hunch. Sideways, no, like that, this way. Not backwise, just this And I would push it, try to go up. I would push it, try to get it straight, you know. <laughs> and then finally, she just said to me, she was like, I, know, I, I think I know what it is. And I go, what is it? She goes, all the hurts I've dealt with, all the damage I've been through, my father, my this, my that. She goes, I, I just, this is my way of being insecure, I guess. And she's left with life like that. And I said, God wants to heal you. God wants to heal you. You don't have to live with damaged emotions anymore. You don't have to live like that. God wants to straighten you up. You can walk upright with a sense of dignity, self-respect, with a new sense of outlook on life. So she started walking upright little by little as she'd been healed. Now today, what a woman of God she is. I love her so much. And she had... She needed a healing. Some of you need that same healing today. You've been broken in the world. You've been damaged by the world. You've been damaged by your family. You've been damaged by the system. All these people have turned their back on you, but I'm here to tell you, Jesus will never turn on you. He'll love you all the way to the end. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's the foundation for your future. And Victory Average is a vehicle. He's going to use you to make your calling happen. I want you to come now if you need that right now. Come on down. Whatever God spoke to you about as we sing the chorus.